you have a Bible, let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. And, um, you know, recently we, uh, we started a class over at Golden Springs that I have the privilege of teaching. It's on the Proverbs. And, um, you know, one of the things I was telling the class is that we're here not just to, you know, learn some academic theology or get some information, but we're praying that by the end of the class, we'll walk away with people with, who have greater wisdom, you know? I mean, we go and we have goals and we pray that God would uh, allow us to be able to walk away different. Um, and going through the book of Nehemiah, I pray that you would have uh, those goals as well, you know? Nehemiah is an example of a great leader, and he's a man who God used to build walls of protection, uh, walls that would bring God glory. And, and for us, as you're coming on Thursday nights, first of all, I want to tell you I'm so proud of you. Uh, a lot of people don't come in midweek service anymore, and I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. They're probably getting ready for the rest of the week and stuff, and some have excused absences, but most don't, to be honest with you. You know, but um, my prayer is that as we go through this book, that by the time we're, we're done here, that literally walls will be built, spiritually speaking, and that we'll have protection, and that God will even make us greater leaders, because, you know, all of us in one sense are leaders. Uh, we might not be the senior pastor, but you might be an assistant pastor, or you might be a, a youth pastor, or an overseer, you might be a father you're in different situations and scenarios. One day you might find yourself in a crisis situation. Who knows? The plane is going down. You're the leader that God raises up at that point. But, but wherever we are, we have those types of opportunities to, to take leadership. And so going through the book of Nehemiah with an open heart is not in vain. And so I pray that as we come tonight, that God would do a work. You know, it's interesting, and I, I think I shared with you guys this amazing truth. In my house, I have a wall that, and that, that fell down, like a section of a wall. And so we have to literally rebuild it. I have a brother coming over on Monday, and he told me if I just give him a couple of tamales, he would do it for us. And, uh, <laughs> So we're going to rebuild that wall. And I was showing in my backyard, and I was, uh, you know, where I live, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of coyotes. And what ends up happening sometimes even is there are dogs that are stray, that come off the streets, and they, you know, they just jump right into our yard. Why? Because our wall is not high enough, or our gate or fence is not high enough. And so, you know, that's one of the goals that I have eventually, is to build those walls higher. And what I see physically has to also take place spiritually, lest the enemy come in and have a field day. And so today we get to learn more. And this book has been so amazing. Uh, but, but today we pick it up in verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Notice what it says. It says, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. You know, the, 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 the agenda of the enemy, the adversary, is for us to quit the work and not be cognizant of the war. You know, we have to persevere. I wonder, just out of curiosity, how many of you here are going through trials? You don't have to raise your hand, but, well, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you know, um, some people are really getting hit hard by the enemy. I can, look at, I can look at you right now and I can see it in your face. Some of you have a scowl on your face. And like, man, don't they want to be here? Maybe that's just the way you are. But you know what's going on in your heart? There's a battle. 
There's a battle going on in your heart. You're not submitting to God. And he's trying to break you. You know, there's a battle going on. There's struggles. There are trials. There are things taking place in our life. And we have to learn to persevere. I found it interesting, our English word perseverance. It comes to us from the the prefix per, that means through, and severe. And so it means to keep pressing on, trusting God, looking up, doing our duty, going through even the severe circumstances of life. Today we're going to be reminded that we must persevere by working and watching. And so in verse 10, we see as they've come to this point, we saw in verse 6 of this chapter that they built the wall about halfway high. Um, And, you know, the enemy doesn't like that. He's uh, so upset that someone has come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And so what he wants them to do is to stop working, to stop working. You know, we see that there, again, Judah said the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish. Notice that we are not able to build the wall. So when it comes to the work, let me just share something with you because the enemy's going to come in and he's going to try to discourage you. He's going to try to take your eyes off the Lord. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, whenever we take our eyes off Jesus, we are going to be pierced through with that double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement. And we need to know that that doubt, that discouragement can become deadly. And that's what the enemy's trying to do right here. They've taken their eyes off the Lord. They got their eyes on themselves or on the work or on the rubbish. It doesn't matter what it is. If you put your eyes anywhere else but where they belong, that is on Jesus, then you will be discouraged and you will have doubt. Warren Risby said if the Jews became discouraged, they would defeat themselves. And that's what ends up happening. You get someone like here, we're going to see, look, it says in verse 10, Judah said. Now, some say that that's a representative of everyone. Judah is everyone. Others say in this context that it's just one of the 12 tribes. Um, we don't know for sure, but it, it seems like somebody's you know, trying to stir up a spirit of discouragement. And we see that happen sometimes. Let me tell you something. Discouragement and fear is, uh, is contagious. And so you're afraid. You're afraid. You start talking smack. Other people start getting afraid. That's exactly what happened when the children of Israel were on their way to the promised land. There was a mixed multitude in there. There was a, a people that got their eyes off the Lord and got their eyes on the giants. And that fear became contagious and the nation was defeated. And so for us, we have to know that, you know, our, our, our eyes got to be on the Lord lest we become discouraged and defeated. You know, again, we saw in verse 6 that the work was about halfway done. And that's another interesting thing. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can have a tough time in any task. But um, a lot of times it's tough when we reach the halfway point. The reason being is this. Have you guys ever heard that saying, everybody starts good. We all have a good beginning, right? Um, we can be driven in the initial stages, you know, when you first came to the church or you first, you know, started involved in that ministry and you're driven eventually in, in, the, min, in the beginning with spiritual emotionalism and excitement and, you know, um, you know, you start well but then the feelings begin to fade and then all of a sudden you kind of find it hard to get over that bump. There's a bump there, you know. I don't know if you guys knew this or not but some people call Wednesday 
a hump day. Have you guys ever heard that? Why is that? Because it's in the middle. It's halfway. It's kind of in the middle of the work week. You see, Monday and Tuesday are easier because you come fresh out of the weekend. Thursday and Friday aren't too bad. Why? Because it's kind of downhill from there. Uh, and then the weekend is within reach, right? But Wednesday can be a hard halfway. It's kind of a challenge to get over that hump. And, and that's where these guys are at this point in the work. And their morale was more than a little low because the hill was starting to look like a mountain, right? One guy said this, there was nothing so fatal to character as half-finished tasks. And so how many of us find ourselves starting well and kind of halfway through, but, you know, we're not close enough to see the finish line yet, and so we kind of get a little discouraged and we kind of let doubt creep in. And so to avoid that, we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. If we do, we won't be discouraged or we won't doubt. We won't be defeated when we get tired. Yeah, we experience trouble, but we won't be inclined to complain or give up whenever we experience fatigue or frustration. There are a lot of Christians that do that. You know, we need to understand that work, you guys don't want to know what work is? It's work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not easy, right? I mean, seriously, we need to understand that work is work, so we're going to be tired at times. I want to know what war is? War is war. Some of you are soldiers. Some of you know you have fathers or maybe uncles that have fought. They've engaged in battle. You know what war is. Civilians don't. We as Christians need to enter into that realm, into that world. Work is work. War is war. Why is it that we are trying to avoid those two things? We have to run to the battle. Here we see the enemy is trying to take them down, you know? So Satan, what does he do? He strategizes and plans his attacks more aggressively. You know, when those things happen, here's the thing. I'm not telling you don't get tired because we do, or you don't get frustrated. There's a whole bunch of rubbish because we do, right? But it's in those times where you got to pray, Lord, I'm tired. I don't feel like I can go on. Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not okay to panic. It's not okay to lose heart. We have to remember who we are. We are God's children. He's for us. Amen? He's with us, right? I mean, he's the only way we can win. And what we find is that the only way we can lose is if we choose. If we refuse to keep our eyes on the Lord, then we will become doubters and discouragers and we will become defeated even as the disciples of the Lord. And so you read verse 10, and I don't know about you, but I read verse 10, and it sounds to me like they're ready to quit. You know, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Okay, here's something very important. What you speak is important. What you speak they said it, we are not able to build the wall. Boom, the enemy has a, has a foothold now. You know, when you're fighting as a married couple and you start just throwing around the word divorce, divorce, oh, you said it. See, that's a step in the direction that, that the enemy wants. You've got to be careful what you say. Now, of course, we know that if we said it in a different context, like I'm not able, but I, am, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's totally different. But that's not the way they were speaking it right here. You know, the things we say and say and say over and over and over again, 
until they become what doctors call a self-fulfilling prophecy is very important. You know, we look at this verse 10 and, you know, thank God it doesn't end there, but, but what if it ended there halfway through, believing the lie of the enemy? Oh, what a tragedy. They would miss out on this amazing victory that God had right in front of them. But what ended up happening? They started getting their eyes off the Lord. You know, one thing I thought was interesting, the phrase, we are not able, is found only three times in the Bible. One time in Ezra, it's fairly significant. But the one time in Numbers 13.31 is probably the most significant verse of all. And it says that the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And you guys know the context there? That was when the children of Israel had come out of the promised land. They sent spies in there to see how big the grapes were. Was it black seedless, red seedless? They were interested in stuff like that, right? And they came back and, man, it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. This is your life. This is your joy. This is your love. This is your peace. This is your mission. This is everything that's good that no one can take away from you. This is God's dream for you. But what happened? You know, they took their eyes off the Lord, they got their eyes on the giant, and they came back, Numbers 13, 31, we are not able. And so you guys know what happened from there, right? Everyone else, they caught that disease of fear, they, got, they caught that disease of taking their eyes off the Lord, and what ended up happening, God had to discipline them to the point that they... They not only wandered 38, 40 years in the wilderness, and there are a lot of Christians who do that. By the way, please don't be one of them. It's up to you. But they didn't just wander in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10 says they died in the wilderness. Except who? Joshua and Caleb. Because they had a different spirit. They didn't run to God and tell him how big their giants were. They ran to their giants and told him how big their God was. See, and when we look at these guys right here, we have to learn that in God's work, you know, it's going to be tiring. We expect fatigue and frustration, but we've got to fight it by staying focused on the Lord. You know, there have been times, I'll be honest with you, that in my flesh, I wanted to quit. I don't want to teach today. I don't want to go in today. This happened, that happened. And you know what? I'll just call so-and-so up and he can do the Bible study. And some of you are like, when I wish you would have. But you know what? It's just, this is the way it is, man. I'm sorry. Too bad, so sad. You know, this is what God's called me to do, right? You know, and I mean, I'm there. I've been there. I don't know if you've ever been there. But God, what he does is he shows me grace and he helps me to take my eyes off myself or that person that I want to hone in on or that problem. And God just says, get your eyes back on me. There's a work to do. For me, I get to do this. I don't know what your work is, but you have to find out what God wants you to do and do it, not in light of you, but in spite of you. It's going to be tough. But we see right here that we are able. Nehemiah is a lesson in that. You know, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 2. So one thing, number one, is the work. Fix your eyes on God. Number two is the watch. And this is interesting. While you fix your eyes on God, you have to be on the lookout for the enemy. Did you know that? 
Look what he says next in verse 11. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, Nehemiah positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I asked and arose, I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And so what we find right here is that Nehemiah, uh, he, he discovered, he heard it from these Jews who were close to the enemy, but they found out, they came and told them 10 times, which is a Hebrew idiom for just saying over and over again, that the enemy was going to rise up and to take them down. That the enemy had a plan to kill them. And when you read the context here, it appears to be a serious threat. It wasn't like the other ones previously where the enemy was simply trying to strike fear into their heart. No, we see Nehemiah takes it as a serious threat and as a matter of fact, later on, they finally drop it and they say, you know what, we can't do it because they found out all about it. So they were really planning to come in and to kill them in order to stop the work from going on. And so what ends up happening? What does Nehemiah do? Does he run away? No, uh, others may have fled, but Nehemiah led, right? That's what he does right here, you know? I mean, to me, it's so cool that he just, he just kicks it into gear, man. And I've seen that. I've seen that lately with some dads. They just kind of discovered their, their calling. I'm called to be a leader, and then boom, it just kind of hits them like, like a freight train. And then I see just qualities of leadership rise up. I see it in people, and it's beautiful when you understand that God has called you to lead. I know sometimes we don't feel like we're worthy or able, and so we won't. We stay passive, and God says, hold on, time out. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, what you think about yourself. What matters is where I put you, right? And God made Nehemiah a leader, so he led, right, when others may have fled, now, some people may find out that the enemy is rising up to take them down, and they might not do anything about it. To them, it's just, you know, well, yeah, I know it's a spiritual battle. Life, business as usual, ministry just goes on. They don't do anything, right? Uh, they might even justify their inactivity and say they're doing nothing. Well, I'm not going to do nothing because God's my guard. God's got it covered, right? But there's some people like that. But Nehemiah shows us that we need to be people who are both spiritual and practical, right? That's the way life works as a Christian. If you need a job, you don't just sit at home and pray for one. You hit the streets, you knock on doors, you fill out resumes until you find one. If you're called to teach a Bible study, you don't go fly a kite, right? And God will give me the words when I go up there. No, you pray, you study, you read, and you read, and you read, and you labor in the word, and you look up words and references, and you read commentaries, and you dig until you're done. Right? We have our part, practical. God has his part. If you, and especially your family, are being physically threatened, 
It's okay to be practical about it and do what you need to do to prevent anyone from being heard. Don't be weird, okay? <laughs> you know, go ahead. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I'll tell you guys this story. The other day at my house, um, we are just having a good time. I think probably watching the Olympics or something. Oh, maybe we're reading the Bible. I'm not sure. But no, probably watching the Olympics. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, all of a sudden we hear a helicopter. A helicopter in, in my wonderful neighborhood. It's just a, it's a nice, peaceful, passive neighborhood, man. And, you know, my, I think it was my wife, my daughter, I'm not sure which one of them, but they looked out the window and they saw the police officers and the police cars and they're running and they're walking and it's just like a whole bunch of stuff's going on, right? I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy. And so, you know, my wife gets a call, we get a knock at the door. What ends up happening was somebody was uh, in the area, somebody up to no good, and they ran into our backyard. And they, so they said, hey, can we go back there? And I said, go ahead. You know, so I, I, of course, I, I went with them. But, you know, when that happens, and we went back there, and I told them, we've got a watchdog. He's about that big, but he might not help. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But anyways, you know, um, when we found out about that, I'll tell you what, man, we took measures. You know, I started pulling out my guns. No, I didn't do that. I uh, <laughs> I, um, I closed the doors. We locked all the windows. I mean, prior to that, you guys know how it's been hot lately? Everything's been open. The fans are all blowing, you know. And so now that you know that somebody's in your backyard, right, you close everything up. You do what you got to do in order to keep your family protected, right? And that's the way it is in life, you know. We have to take action. We have to do something about it. Yeah, we pray. And we did pray, Lord, please protect our home and please help them, you know, catch the bad guy. But we, you know, lock our doors. And so what Nehemiah does is, is very practical. We'll, we'll see a few things. Letter A, Nehemiah positions the people. He positions them. There in verse 13, therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And this is important. You know, and there's a lot of different things to think about. You know, I know for a church, uh, I think it's important to place the people in positions. You know, for me as a leader, being part of a church, it's not my job to put people anywhere. But it is my responsibility to find out where God wants people. And so that's what we try to do. God provided him. If you read Ephesians 4, it says, And he himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be pastors and teachers and evangelists and you know, prophets. So he gave men to the church. So our job is to put them in places where they belong. And I thank God for the way that he has provided for our church. And I think he's just beginning to bring people who God provides, who are going to be in places where, according to the context here, there's vulnerabilities. He says right there, position men behind the lower parts of the wall and at the openings. And there are places in our church and ministries that are vulnerable, and God's going to bring somebody to fill that gap. And so that, that's one thing that's very, very practical. I think of having the right people in the right place, right? Not only in the church, but I tell you what, even in my own life. In my life, there are vulnerabilities. In my life, there are weaknesses. And I pray for God to bring me brothers or friends that they would help me in those vulnerabilities of my own life. We all need that. If you're here today and you don't have that, then you will suffer for that. 
You have to ask God to put men, women, people in places that you find are vulnerable. If you're here today struggling with anything, it could be drugs or alcohol or sex or porn or, I mean, you, you name it, anger, um, you know, talk to somebody. God will use people, I think, in positions that are important. We need to know what those vulnerable areas are. Do you know those in your own life? Do you know them? Are you here today saying, well, I have no weaknesses? Okay, or you're like, well, I do have weaknesses. Well, let me ask you, what are they? Oh, you know what? I never really thought about that, man. Find out what they are, because I guarantee you this, the enemy is hitting that weakness over and over and over again. You know, I, I, the other day I was watching Olympic volleyball, and I guess there was one guy, he wasn't that good, and so they kept serving it to him. <laughs> and if that's the one hot spot in your life, this is my weakness, then I want you to know the enemy will go after that every single time, just like a boxer knowing that he broke someone's rib. He will go after that every single time. So whatever that is in your life, you have to ask God to give you the grace and strength to overcome. You see, these people are, are watching here. They're going to be in those places in the walls where they need to be on guard. And it seems to indicate that the adversaries were counting on the element of surprise. Notice that in verse 11. Read that again. They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So the devil will knock you out if you're not looking. Right? If he can catch you by surprise, they'll not, they're not going to know anything's coming. Then boom, he blindsides you because you're not ready in the least bit. But if you're watching, he can't do that. And the chances are, we're going to see in our study today, he won't. He won't. He kind of knows, he kind of knows this. I don't know if you've ever met uh, people like this, but they know, you know, like I've seen some of these guys fighting. I remember when I was in high school, it's been a long time, but I remember this little guy, Louis Rivera, he always used to like to fight. I hope he never hears this study, but, you know, <laughs> I remember he used to like fighting, but the only way he could ever win is if he just went up and clocked somebody without them looking. He knew that if they were ready, he had no hope. He was just a little guy. That's kind of the way it is with the devil. It's kind of the way it is. He knows the only way I can win is if they got their guard down, if they're not watching. That's why we have to be watching. So Nehemiah positions people. Uh, Nehemiah provides for the people. Notice it says in verse uh, 13 that he put people there with their swords, their spears, and their bows. See? And that's kind of what we find even tonight, you guys, in the church. Uh, one of the ministries, it says in Ephesians 4, is he's given some pastors, teachers, and all those guys, prophets, speaking the word of God to do what? To equip the saints. To equip you, right? So now you can do ministry. Now you can have what it takes in order to do ministry. You know, I've been doing laminate with a floor with my son, and what should have been a three-day job has turned into a three-year job, but it's okay, you know. And I've been, you know, using different saws, and one of the saws that we don't have is a jigsaw. And some of those tricky places where you got to go in between... You know, I was just telling him, I said, man, this would be a lot easier if we had the right tools, you know? And that's the way it is in the church as well. When you got guys that have certain gifts 
And uh, we're talking about being equipped for works of ministry. That's kind of what we see here. Number one, Nehemiah positions the people. Number two, Nehemiah provides for the people, swords, spears, bows, and arrows. And then number three, Nehemiah preaches to the people. That's what he does right there in verse 14. And he, they needed all three of them, right? And, I, and don't you guys love the sermon there in verse 14? I love that, man. He tells them, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses, right? He tells them, do not be afraid. He tells them, do not forget God. I mean, he's a great and awesome God. I know we're not much. We look in the mirror, we're not much. But you know who he is? He's with you and he's for you. What challenge can you face as a church that can't be overcome? What temptation? What will he not provide? You know, for us, it's, it's so cool. They're in this situation. And for me, it's one of my favorite per- verses in all the Bible that we are not to be afraid and we are not to forget God, even though we have a tendency to do that. How many of you here have a bad memory, just out of curiosity? You have Alzheimer's. That's already happening, man. You know, um, that's why I try to eat fish a lot and exercise because my brain's all messed up, man. My kids always say, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs because I have messed up my brain so bad. But you know what? You know, as a church, we have this tendency to forget the Lord. You know, that's why Jesus had to institute communion, huh? He said, do this in remembrance of me. You guys, don't forget the Lord. He loves you. He's with you. He lives in you. He wants to be on you. We are living in the last of the last days. He puts you in in the the end of the fourth quarter. This is the finals. Jesus is getting ready to return, and you're in the game. You're here as for such a time as this. Don't forget him. And don't forget your family. You know, over the years, this has been one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible to encourage people not to just fight, but to fight back. Why? Because the devil's fighting for your kids. The devil's fighting for your wife or your spouse or, you know, your family And we have to know that. The enemy's attacking the husband, wife, children, youth, young adults. Uh, He's attacking even the very definition of the family. You know, for us today, uh, we have this going on. I was reading, any of you guys probably heard about the boycott of Target by the American Family Association. And, you know, some of you guys are probably participating in that. Maybe others aren't. It's a personal conviction. They say that 1.2 million people have signed the petition to fight Target. The reason being, uh, Target, when it came out, we know, with the whole uh, transgender thing and guys that are really girls, is saying, well, I want to go into the girls' bathroom, but you're a guy. Target's like, well, that's okay. Let them. And so, you know, a lot of people said, hey, that's not cool. I want to fight for my family. I want to protect my family. I'm not going to shop there. And it's been cool. I found out recently that their sales dropped. I love that. Thank you, Jesus, you know. And so what they did is they uh, said, we're going to build, you know, bathrooms, you know, to accommodate everybody. We want to, you know, it's kind of like in one sense, I don't want to say it, but in one sense, we had an effect. Why? Because we fought. We fought. And that has to take place in all of our life, you guys. We can't be passive on this. 
You know, I wanted to share with you guys just a lot of different statistics, but I'll just share a couple with you. 50% of all marriages in America end in divorce. And if you're here to say, and if you're saying, well, that'll never happen to me, we just move to the front of the line, right? 41% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second, 73% in third marriages, they end in divorce. In America, there is a divorce every 36 seconds, 2,400 divorces every single day. So you got to fight for your family, right? I love that passage in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of these things, not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. You know, our prayer, and I pray that you guys would have that. You know, just think about it. If everybody here said, okay, my responsibility is my family to go to heaven. If everybody said that, if everybody caught that vision, then we'd be in good shape as a church. Every dad, every mom, we take that responsibility. That's exactly what Nehemiah is saying right here. We have to fight for our families. You know, when Nehemiah did this, and he positions the people, and he provides for them, and then he preaches to them the word of God, notice it says in verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing. I love that that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. What an awesome testimony, man. You know, that we hopefully one day will be able to say, yeah, you know, the wiles of the, the wicked one, the strategies of Satan, he had this plan, he had this plot to take us down, but we looked up, we kept our eyes on Christ, and he did not prevail. I mean, I love the way it says that, 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 that God brought their plot to nothing, you guys. And that's the way it can work. And even if you're here today and maybe you've suffered some setbacks, I want you to know that Genesis 50, 20, it says what the enemy intended for evil, God can use for good. I want you to know that's the way the Lord works. He can take all those stumbling stones and, and he can make them stepping stones, you guys. And so when we read this, I think of Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11. It says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. You see, in looking at this, we see, number one, the work. And so we're to keep our eyes on Jesus Number two is the watch. And we are to be looking you know, for the enemy. But, but in the end, what he does is he combines them both. In verse 16, it says, So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall... And those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. You know, it's interesting when you read verse 16 through 18, uh, it, it, it just, man, it emphatically emphasizes 
the way that Nehemiah made some changes in policy from that day forward. He did something different. And now, from this point forward, the working was now thoroughly saturated side by side and woven within together with the watching. The working and watching, they now went together. It was almost like a 50-50 thing. I mean, read in verse 16, it was half the people. And in verse 17, it was half their hands. And in verse 18, we get that picture of that worker right there with the sword right there by their side. And so, you are a servant of God. Do you understand that? Even some of you young people, you're like, ah, I don't know about, yeah, it doesn't matter. God will take you as soon as you want to serve. I've seen the Lord use three-year-olds, to be honest with you. This last Sunday, we baptized a six-year-old who knew exactly what he was doing. So you are a servant of God. You're also a soldier of God. And so if you want to win, I mean, we have to be working and we have to be watching and we have to be doing them and engaged in them simultaneously. That's what Nehemiah does at this point, right? The mentality was now one of both work and war. And I know it's hard. How many of you here have a problem doing two things at one time? Just out of curiosity. You know, sometimes we do, you know, like, I don't know. And when I was a, a young guy, when I was 17 years old, I started working at the market called The Pantry. Have you guys ever heard of that market, The Pantry? Long time ago. Man, it just shows you how old I was, but um, how old I am. But I remember um, we had this one uh, checker, uh, cash receptionist or whatever. Her name was Gertie. And she had been working there for like 57 years. I mean, just as a little girl, and now she's just really, really super old. Everybody in the community there in Bradbury, they knew her. And she, um, in those days, what they would do is they would, you guys remember those days where they would take your groceries, they would scoop it down, and then they would punch in the numbers like that? Any of you old enough to set a curiosity? Come on. All right. <laughs> so anyways, she did that for so many years so she had one eye on the groceries and one eye on the cash register that eventually, you know what she was able to do? She, her, her eyes went in two different directions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious, man. So, I mean, it's kind of like that, you know, but, but not exactly. With, you got your eyes on the Lord, but you are also looking for the enemy. You see? Two things are going on. But it would be better to say it this way, that when I focus on something, I also have what's called peripheral vision. And I need both of them, right? Um, peripheral vision, it, doctors tell us, is a part of vision that occurs outside the very center of the gaze. That there is a broad set of non-central points in the visual field that is included in the notion of peripheral vision. And I, and I think that, that as Christians, that's exactly the way it works, that in the center is our eyes on the Lord, but we don't get tunnel vision. We also have what's called peripheral vision. And we are working and serving, but we are also watching because the devil is planning. And I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm not trying to scare you. But that's the reality of it. The devil and his demons, Satan and his fallen soldiers, they want to take you to hell. That's why you need Jesus Christ. 
Not a religion. Not a religion. It's a relationship where you realize you're a sinner and you just need him. Lord, I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me. I can't make it to heaven without you. And I give you my heart. You repent of your sins and you receive him as Lord and Savior. You do that. And what ends up happening is God writes your name in the book of life. And as we go forward as Christians, we stay focused on him, but we also remember the peripheral vision of understanding the enemy will come against us. You see, the enemy is constantly coming against us, but you know the thing is, is that this right here was a little bit different in nature. There's a thing, I don't know if you guys have heard this, it's called the evil day, the evil day. And what that is, according to the scriptures, is when the enemy comes and attacks in a more vigorous way. We gotta be on guard for everything, but especially this thing. Because when those days come, it changes the nature of things. You'll notice even here in Nehemiah, if you read it carefully, they stop working for a little bit. They stop working and we're like, wait a minute, that doesn't happen in Nehemiah. It just did. It just did. They just stopped working. You know, so when this whole thing happens again, they start fighting again and they start, you know, getting back to work where they need to be. And so for us, you know, I, I'm not saying you necessarily stop serving or stop working, but what I am saying is that there is something that is so heavy at times that it requires more attention. In those days, you're probably going to want to pray. You're probably going to want to fast. You're probably going to want to draw near to God like never before. Why? Because you are being assaulted by the adversary. You know, Ephesians 6, 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And so what do they do here? Well, look what it says in verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. So wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people that each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be on guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. What ends up happening in the end? Well, three things. Number one, there's, there's the whole mentality of a rally. And, you know, if you can kind of visualize, you know, the, the wall, you know, and, and, and basically what Nehemiah says is that if there's a problem over here, I'm going to blow the trumpet. I'm going to blow the trumpet. And what I want is everybody to go there and let's rally together at their house for them. Beautiful picture of the body of Christ, isn't it? Because what does the Bible say? When one member is hurting or suffering, then the whole body suffers as a result of that. And so I love that, that rally. It kind of transfers into the whole concept that number two is unity, you know, we got to have that, my, and we got to pray for that in the church as a whole. That when there's something going on, and for us, we can think of so many different things. I can think of one person, like I mentioned earlier today, uh, Lillian Ray, whose granddaughter was, was murdered. 
um, man, maybe we should rally to her, to pray for her, encourage her. You know, I mean, I think of an individual. I think of the world that we're living in today, you guys. And now there's so much superficial Christianity. There's different attacks. One of them is called the emerging church. Well, let's rally to that and let's fight that. But we do it together. This is the way it works. There's the rally. There's the unity. And when that takes place, there is victory. There is victory. These guys are watching. I mean, think about it. You know, they're, they're not changing their clothes. And we get all caught up in the things we wear, you know. And I think I've made a pact now. I'm going to wear the same T-shirt on Thursdays every night, every Thursday night. And some people say, well, you shouldn't wear that shirt. It's old. It's okay. You guys don't mind, huh? See, look, there's a little cross right there. Can you guys see that? Who cares what we wear? Who cares what we wear? Where does, what does God see? He sees the heart. I mean, and these guys, of course, not you know, washing their clothes. It wasn't a fashion statement. That wasn't where it was at. Where it was at was, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this. I love my God. I love my country. I love my church. I love my family, and I'm serious about this. And at the end, you guys know eventually what ended up happening. In 52 days, they completed the wall, and God did a great work, you guys. Why is this written? Is it written for information so that we can know all about history? Absolutely not. It's written for transformation. And what I would encourage you guys to do tonight, and I'm going to be there right with you, is don't listen to this or, or, you know, take this study in and think, oh, that would be good for him or her or them. What I want to encourage you guys to do is to take it to heart, you know, to yourself, to myself. God, what do I need to do to fix my eyes more on you, to, you know, not be a disciple filled with doubt and discouragement, Lord. I want to be used by you to be a servant, Lord, to be a leader, to be a soldier, And I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but if you're here and maybe the enemy has been kind of like, you know, just taking you and roads that you don't belong, distracting you from your mission in life, I pray that we would pay attention, that we would get back on track, you guys. Because we got to be, we got to be working and we got to be watching. Any of you guys like Charles Spurgeon? Okay, you guys are are saved if you he's a really cool man Charles Spurgeon he started his church magazine in 1865 and he borrowed the title from Nehemiah and he called the publication The Sword and the Trowel and have you guys heard of that great magazine he said it was a record of the combat with sin and the labor for the Lord and you guys that's where we need to be for the rest of our lives as believers we will be both building and battling As Christians, we are servants and soldiers. And so God, help us to know who we are, who we serve, who we're fighting for. And may God help us to never 